It's my pleasure to welcome Graydon Zorzi back to the pulpit. Graydon had the job that uh, Hayden now occupies. He sowed the seeds of our youth ministry and began that ministry that Hayden is now continuing. So after pursuing his and uh, receiving his uh, PhD, Graydon is uh, now a professor serving a church, serving a university in Oregon. Uh, that, of course, virtually now, which allows him to be more present with us here. So, Graydon, it is a pleasure to have you back with us. And uh, as Peter be noted as we began, our service this morning will be just a touch briefer due to a congregational meeting immediately following. Oh, the light means on? Confusing. Uh, there we go. I was saying 10 minutes max, which my grandma would be very happy about. I remember my grandma wasn't a believer, and we took her to, one time she came to visit us, and we took her to um, this, uh, this church, and this pastor was laying, who was, it was, it was one of these churches where like they had four different pastors, but one of them was really good. And we got that guy that day, so I was super excited about it. And he was just laying his heart out there. It was incredible. I was like, oh, sitting there, I was like, I'm like, listen, listen, girl, like, come on, listen, Grandma. And then at the end of the service, we're like, what do you think? She's like, ah, oh, it was too long. <laughs> so 10 minutes max, that's what you get. And I just used like two minutes on a story I wasn't even planning on telling. So now it's like, now I got no chance. All right, so we're reaching the climax of 1 John. 1 John is written as this way to, um, to help people to understand, to know that they have uh, been united with God in faith. First John is meant to provide practical instruction for the people receiving it to be confirmed in their faith. Theologians talk about assurance of salvation. And in order to provide that assurance of salvation, what John does is explain a very important moral theory about the way reality works. And the way, what that is, is that we have, uh, at the center of reality, we have God. And God creates the world uh, as an expression of his own love and beauty and joy. And he builds that world in an orderly fashion, because God is orderly. There's a physical order that we have to respect. If you drop something, it's going to fall. If you um, don't work out for the entire time that you're on quarantine, you're going to be behind by the time the gym opens in 2024. Um, there's a physical order we have to respect. There's also a moral order that we have to respect. And both of those things you could ignore for a little while, but if you ignore them for too long, it ends up being a problem, right? You can lie to everybody around you. you get, look, maybe you're getting ahead for a little while. Eventually, things are going to come back to get you. There's a physical order. There's a moral order. And John is telling us that when you are brought back into relationship with God through Christ, what happens is you are united to God through Christ by the Holy Spirit and therefore brought back into alignment with this moral order. And the shorthand for that moral order is love, is God's love. And so look, look how um, John explained this. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. Okay, so how do we know that we love the people around us? If we love God and obey his commandments. And People look at this, ethicists and philosophers look at this and they go, well, hold on a second. Why are you loving, aren't you shouldn't love other people for themselves? How are you, if you love other people, you're loving God? Like, this seems weird. Like, what about the respect for the other person? It's like, but listen, you have to understand the reality of human beings. The reality of human beings is that we have no separate good. There is no separate, if, if you try to find some good that is entirely your own, separate from God, there's nothing there at all. 
Because ultimately, separation from God is nothing but darkness and death. And John emphasizes this point again and again and again. God is light. God is light. In him is, if you walk in darkness, you can't possibly have fellowship with the light. If you hate your brother, how can you, be, how can you love God? The only way that you can love your brother or love your sister or love anyone around you is if you've been brought back into alignment and into fellowship with the love that is at the center of reality. So then he goes even further. He says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And again, this is something that we struggle with today. We struggle with this because we have this idea of freedom as autonomy, as, as complete self-direction, as unbounded freedom where we just, I'm going to choose whatever I want to do. You can't tell me what to do. You know, let me do whatever I want. Um, I don't, the last thing you want to do is read some ancient book that tells you how to live. We want to make our own way. We want to be the king on the, own th on the throne of our own heart, of our own lives. No one should get to tell us what to do. But the problem is it's about reality. It's about the reality of who you are. You were built by the same God who built the universe, the same order that he built into the universe, he built into you. So if you ignore the moral reality that runs through the universe, you're working at cross purposes, not just with the world around you, but with yourself. And you can't possibly be happy like that. You can't live well like that. Life doesn't work. It just doesn't work. It may seem like it's working for a little while. You may be able to get ahead. You may be able to fool some people. You may be able to um, fool yourself. But it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. It's very hard to live in denial of reality. But what's easy is to follow the commandments of God once you've been brought back into fellowship with Christ because the commandments are not burdensome. And his commandments are not burdensome. Why are they not burdensome? For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And the world in 1 John, you have to notice that. If you're reading 1 John, he says the world, the world, the world, the world. What is he talking about with the world? He's using the world in this letter to mean something very specific. He means what theologians call the world system. The world as it is in rebellion against God. The idea that there is a, uh, some aspect of God's created reality, especially his intelligent reality, especially people, especially us, and angels too, and angels, some angels, that are in rebellion against God. And in rebelling against God, what you're doing is saying, I'm going to set up some private good. I'm going to have light and life and health and joy, but it's going to be not the way you want it, Lord. Well, you wouldn't call him Lord, right? Not the way you want it, thing that I won't acknowledge in the sky that obviously exists, but I'm going to pretend it doesn't. Um, <laughs> not the way you, I'm going to have it on my own, but it's impossible. You can't do it. You can't do it because you were created in the image of God. So the only way that you can live well is to be imitators of God, therefore, as beloved children, like Paul says in Ephesians. And 1 John emphasizes that message again and again and again. If we say we, are, uh, we should walk in light because God is light, God is righteous, so we need to be righteous, again and again and again, five, ten different ways, five different ways in this letter, he makes that same exact point, be imitators of God as beloved children, because God created these rules he gives us aren't arbitrary. They're a description of what it looks like to live well as a person. God is a, we have Father, Son, and Spirit in this eternal, happy, joyful relationship. And here we are created in God's image, and the only way for us to live well is to imitate that relationship, to enter into that dance of loving, of love and giving and sacrifice and care um, and justice and honesty. So, this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. 
Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So our faith overcomes the world in two ways. First, it overcomes the world in a very straightforward way because we have a rejection, an intellectual victory, where you reject the idea that it's possible to have, that this world system is going anywhere, and you say, yes, all right, fine, I need to be back in alignment with God. But there's a second and even deeper way that our faith overcomes the world, and that's through union with Christ. And this is the main point. This is the point that First John is trying to make, that if you have been reconciled to God, what happens is now God abides in you. That's the, the Johannine language, abide. It's the same thing that Paul's talking about in his letters when he talks about being in Christ. Union with Christ. Because if you've been reconciled to God, God abides in you. He lives in you, and that's going to change you. Because now you have that same order and light and beauty that's out that's in the center of reality inside of you in communicating a new principle, a new life, a new way of living. You know, when, um, when you're five years old and you're, talked about, and you're told about Jesus, you're taught to invite Jesus into your heart. And then as you grow older, you may think, well, invite Jesus into your heart, invite God into your heart. That sounds kind of quaint. Like there's got to be some more robust way to talk about it. Actually, that's a profound theological claim. It's a profound philosophical claim because, first of all, heart is not some wishy-washy term. Heart is a, a, is, a, is a term of art. It's a term that theologians and Christians have developed over centuries to, to describe something real about a human being. Heart means your center of your being, your emotion, your will. It's not just intellectual. It's, your, it's the core of your being as an agent who makes decisions and has emotions. That's what we're talking about when we say heart. It's not just mind. Right? It's, there's something deeper than just your understanding. And if you invite God into that place in yourself, into the center of yourself, that's what John is talking about. If you abide in him, he will abide in you. If he abides in you, you will abide in him. Really, it's the second way. If he abides in you, you abide in him because God takes action first. So the point of this letter and the point of this chapter then is to ask us to say, well, is God abiding in us? Are we abiding in him? Are you seeing yourself changed? Right? Think about the fruits of the spirit, the things that are supposed to be produced in your life if God is part of your life. Love, joy, hope, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's a description of God. That's God's attributes. Of course that's what you're going to be like if God dwells in you, right? Because he makes you like himself. Are you seeing those things in your life? And if you're not at all, then probably you need to turn to Christ. But if you are, great. Be confirmed in your faith. Know that God has you. Know that even if you are doubting or suffering or struggling, that you can look back at your life and see what God has done in your heart and in your mind over time and be confirmed and be comforted and know that whatever you're going through, whatever struggles that are around you, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because if God is for you, who can be against you? And then just on a practical level, one other thing you can do is recognize that there is within us this struggle between what Paul calls the old man and the, and the new man. And there's this struggle between, we could put it in, in the language here, the struggle between the world system and the love of God because they're both sort of part of us. We're being changed, but we haven't been perfected. So where is it that you are still trying to live by the rules of the world system? You're still thinking that you can get ahead by, by cheating or by lying or by, you know, um, using anger to get your way or whatever, you know, whatever that, that 
pressure point is in your life, find it, seek it out, because it gives you an opportunity to trust God at precisely that point where it's hardest to trust him and to be changed in your heart at precisely that hard part in your heart that still needs to be melted down. Find it. When you recognize yourself sinning, repent, yes. But also part of, recognize that part of repenting is knowing that you have this opportunity this opportunity to be changed further because the commands aren't burdensome. It would be better if you were changed. It would be better. Why are you holding on to that thing? Why are we holding on to those things? We, we are, if we think they're going to help us, we're wrong. What we need is the love of God. Is that 10? Did I do 10? I don't know how long it was. Let, that's it though. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for this day. We trust you. Please help us, Lord. Help us to follow you, to serve you. Um, send your love to transform us. Come in. Be in our hearts, Lord. Abide in us that we may abide in you um, and that we may know that your commandments are not burdensome, that are not burdensome. We can't possibly earn our way to you, Lord, because what we need is you to live well. We can't live well apart from you, Lord. So redeem us, be with us, help us this day. In Jesus' name, amen.